Hello and welcome to Falmouth Vineyard's audio podcast. We're really grateful that you're joining us today. Our vision is to see Cornwall coming alive through the hope and freedom that Jesus brings. To find out more about who we are or how to connect with us, visit falmouthvineyard.org. We'd love to hear from you. You will have been running through with us the book of Philippians, the letter to the church in Philippi, written by the Apostle Paul. We are breakthrough moment into chapter three. This chapter we're only going to spend two weeks on, so Rob is going to be preaching next week. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you start trying to find the book of Philippians? Um, I'm not going to run through it. If you ever want to catch up with any talks that we've done in the past, our YouTube channel or our podcast, you can always find through the website or if you just search them on Googly Woogly. Um, Andy does a diligent job in keeping it up to date. Is it up to date? Yeah, nearly. <laughs> I said that. And that nearly. Not, usually does a diligent job of notes. All right. Um, so we are going to be carrying on in this letter to the Philippians and we've hinted at one of the overwhelming themes that comes through the book is of joy and we are in chapter three now this is a cracker of a passage but I wanted to start by and you'll be thinking well which bits of the bible aren't cracking passages great question this is an especially big cracker of a passage I wanted to start by asking you a question moving swiftly on Um, have you ever had a time or experience or maybe a season in your life that has caused you to reevaluate everything about your life. Specifically, a time where you've had to ask yourself whether you have prioritized the right things, whether you have valued the right things, whether you are doing the right thing. A time in your life when you've had to step back and evaluate is this what I want to be doing? Have I made this the right priority? Maybe this is the beginning of the new year. We're still in January, the never-ending month of January. Um, are you, maybe you're in one of those times at the moment where you're thinking, actually, I'm just taking stock, evaluating, reflecting, examining. What is my life about? What have I made a priority as we move into 2024? Times when we ask ourselves whether we've done well. Are we living life to the full? Have we valued the right things? Have we spent our time well? Have you ever had a time like that or are you in one of those times at the moment where you've had a big moment of re-evaluation? It may have been a change of circumstances. So the loss of a job, the end of a relationship, the loss of a loved one even, illness for you or for someone close to you where it's just given you maybe some time and some headspace just to go, ooh, is this what I want to do with my life? I was one of the things we saw in COVID was that people used that chance to reevaluate priorities in their life. Maybe it was the fact that they faced that we all face something bigger than ourselves in scale and impact, something bigger than we many of us had known in our lifetimes. So we asked ourselves the questions: Am I in the right job? Is this the right role for me? Do I want to live here anymore? My family actually is really important, and I'm living a long way from them. Do I need to move closer? Or actually, I don't love this hour and a half commute every Sunday or every morning for my job. I'd like to work somewhere closer or from home. I'm going to find a new job closer to me. These kind of re-evaluation questions. Is this resonating? Did you have this moment? 
Some of you may know that I used to work for IBM, which is a very large American IT company, and I worked in their global services department. I had to Google, I had to like look back through my email, say, what did I used to do? I can't remember. My role apparently was software licensing. Um, so we worked with customers in some of the biggest com companies globally and in the UK um, to make sure they had licenses to cover the users that they had within their businesses, workstations, laptops, and servers. So. I was like, I did, I did used to do that. Oh, I can't remember what I used to do. Anyway, I used to spend basically what I did with spreadsheets, like hours and hours. And then when my data got too big for spreadsheets, I had to use databases instead. Part of my role was managing a team in India. So I managed them um, on some of my days and then did some other stuff. And do you know what? It was a really well-paid role. Time I used to actually, because I was working from home for IBM, used to work in the church office for IBM with all the guys from church. It was great. And then we started looking after B and Jake when they were little. Um, and then work from IBM the other days. And then when my dad died, I one of those moments where you like reevaluate: is this really what I want to do? Like, actually, I feel just like a number. My number was GB zero six triple nine two. I can still remember that. How can I remember my personnel number? GB six zero. Yeah, yeah. It's like FN two one nine. Anyway, um, it was. But have that. You had that time of like you're confronted with something bigger in life and then you go do i want to be doing this and seeing how dad died in peace confidently expecting jesus it, the way he died was staggering and caused me to ask questions about what i was doing with my life and i think the advice if you're faced with a big question or a big life-changing event is not to make any hasty decisions that's great advice I did not take that advice at all. I think it was less than two weeks after the funeral that I had decided to take voluntary redundancy from IBM. They offered it again. I was like, thank you very much. There's a year's past salary. I will go and work for church. So I went. Whether you've had a moment like this, it can be a good event. It's not necessarily like someone dying or illness or a loss. Sometimes it's something really good that happens to you and you're like, that bought me alive. Why don't I do more of that? That seems to resonate with my skills and my passions. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing if I could be doing something more like that? So I'm, I don't want to spin it all negative. It could be something super positive you have exposure to, and you're like, oh, I like that. Maybe I should do more of that. Today we're going to be looking at a great passage, as I've said, in Philippians 3. It's one of those passages that is packed with great verses that you will probably have underlined and you probably should memorize. So let's pray before we launch into Philippians 3 verse 1. Lord God, I just pray as we look at this scripture, look at this letter that Paul wrote to encourage, to challenge the church in Philippi. Lord, would you speak to us through this passage? Holy Spirit, would you make our hearts soft for what you want to say to us this morning? And I just pray that you would speak and if everything, anything that I'm saying is not right, wrong, not for the right time, but just let, let that fall to the floor. Lord God, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Right, I've given you a massive introduction. That should have been time for you to scroll to Philippians 3 in your Bibles. Furthermore, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. This comes up again and again in this book. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Cracking passage, told you. For it is we who are the circumcision. Don't talk enough about circumcision in church. We are the we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and have who put confident no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. 
If someone else thinks that they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul writing, obviously. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Faultless. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have already lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's a great passage, isn't it? It's amazing. So Paul starts by calling the church to rejoice, not just to be happy or just to be joyful, but their reason for their joy, the source of their joy, the purpose of their joy is in Jesus. He starts by pointing them back to Jesus. Worship is a weapon in the spiritual warfare we find ourselves in. Our worship is always or should always be focused on Jesus. After calling the Philippian church to rejoice in worshipping uh, Jesus, he then has a warning for the church and really harsh words as well. We often see Paul in his letters correct heresy or false teachers that are spreading error in these early churches or adding, in this case, to the gospel. So the gospel we has it, we have is of grace, a gift received by faith, that through faith in Jesus, in his life, death and resurrection, that by placing our faith in him, in Jesus, that we have new life, such radical new life that the Bible describes it as being born again. It's a whole new way of life, characterized by the fruit of the spirit that now dwells within us in the lives of the believer a spirit-filled life of love joy peace patience faith kindness goodness gentleness and self-control so paul saying this is your faith rejoice in that and then he's got a massive warning then he says look out for these dogs these evildoers these mutilators of the flesh that's super harsh language isn't it he isn't describing nice dogs i was going to put a picture of albie up but it wouldn't be helpful for you to all go oh so I was going to find one where he's got a jaunty hat on, and then you would have laughed. But then I thought, no, it's just distract you from the talk. So, not a nice dog. He is thinking of, like, 2,000 years ago, pack animals roaming the streets trying to find scraps of food. Aggressive, nasty, rabies-infected dogs. Those kind of dogs. It's not like, oh, you dogs. It's like, ugh, you dogs. Who's he talking about? He's talking about a group known as the Judaizers, people who put a lot of stock into religious ritual. They were Jewish people who went around into the churches and told church members, whether Jewish or Gentiles, that the men, if they weren't circumcised, needed to be circumcised. And they needed to observe all of the Old Testament rituals. And you might think, well, what has that got to do with us? Like, I really hope there's no circumcision pressure groups in Falmouth and Penryn. Like, I don't, I've never come across one yet. I don't really feel there's a whole lot of arguments trying to get us to be circumcised in the vineyard. Like, what's going on? Why? What, what has this got to do with us now? But there's a deeper warning here, thankfully. 
stop squirming men it's about the temptation towards empty ritual and religion instead of deep heart renovation to add something to the gospel that distract us they're sometimes really good things but they're not the ultimate thing so here's another question I asked you earlier when have you had to reevaluate in your lives when was the last time you had to write a CV you got an up-to-date CV when was the last time you had to tell someone why you should get the job why you're the best candidate why you've had the best experience and the best attitude we were chatting in the office on Friday uh, it turns out both me and Andy had paper rounds um, that were used to be the first thing on my CV um, times have changed um, <laughs> I used to get six pounds a week, which I thought was really good. Andy used to get 10 pounds a week. Like, that's living the dream, that is. So you see what Paul does here in the passage, there is a link, don't worry. He says that if you want someone that does religion, like if you want religious activity, I am your man. If you want to describe a pure Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, I am your man. If you're looking for justification by works, by the law, Paul lists his credentials, but then says this key phrase, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of no... Effectively says, I used to think of all of that stuff as a gain. The language is almost like profit and loss, I used to think that these these activities, my religiosity, my background, my culture, my religion counted in my favour. My heritage, my family, maybe my ethnicity, my history, my zeal, my education, my religious activity. I used to put them all against the gain column of my life spreadsheet. I thought they were deposits in my account, but now... But now, in light of the road to Damascus, in light of meeting Jesus face to face as Paul did, he considers them all loss. So instead of religious activity bringing me closer to God, it is actually preventing me coming to God because I thought that was the activity that was bringing me close. I wonder what we can put in that gain column of our life spreadsheet. What? do we think might help us and count in our favour towards God? Maybe it's your education, your ridiculous good looks, your nationality, maybe it's your wealth if you've got money. You can put that or maybe your popularity, put that in the column. Maybe it's your hair if you've got great hair, that's going in that column, amazing beard, put that in that column. <laughs> what about your communication and social skills? All of those things count for you. All of these things we can put in the gain column. But in one moment for the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus, he lost, and everything changed. But he goes further. He doesn't just say he counts them as loss. Verse 8, I consider them garbage. Now, in the carol service video for the kids in nativity, there was lots of videos of poo. That's closer to the, this word that they use here. It's rubbish. It's kind of like the stinkiest, nastiest stuff. I consider all of that stuff that I used to think was gain rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith so what on earth does this phrase righteousness mean should have got Esther up because she spoke on the breastplate of righteousness this week at CU 
was really tempted to text you actually, but I didn't. So anyway, righteousness very simply means being in the right with God. The Apostle Paul believes that it is possible for each of us to be thoroughly examined by God, to have God look right into our hearts, to examine us, to see all that we are, whether in private or in public, our actions and our thoughts and our motives, to have God look into the depths of us and to still receive a verdict from God that we are totally okay and in the right with God. Righteousness means to secure from God a verdict of being thoroughly right. That God would say to you, you are all that I require you to be. That even with my high standards, as a holy and perfect God, who draws the line perfectly straight, you have met my standards. At the core of all of us, I believe, in our deepest longing, or our overriding need, is to be right with God. And I think deep down we all know that apart from Jesus, that we are not right with God. We know that the sin in our lives, our actions that rebel against God, the stain of our lives, those things we do that are selfish and miss God's mark, we realize by doing these things we can't meet God's high standards of holiness. But Paul in this passage is saying he's found a way of meeting God's standard. He's found a way that enables us to stand before God with confidence to be thoroughly examined by God and to hear God say, Nathan is totally righteous and has met my very highest standard. Now, I know Nathan, and that phrase sounds pretty weird because he's a bit of a mess. He doesn't always get it right. He's made mistakes daily. I've seen his heart and it's pretty rotten, but thankfully, I can stand not in my own righteousness, it's not a DIY thing, a do-it-yourself thing, where I try really hard to keep the Ten Commandments and be really, really good. If I have the right mindset, God should accept me. Because I am a good person, really. I'm trying my best. Well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. Do you ever do that, compare? Well, I might not be great, but whew, they're doing really bad, so I must be getting in. I'm better than them. But righteousness isn't on a scale where as long as you are better than most, you are okay. Like an exam, my first year of uni, I had to do a geology subset. Literally the entire class failed. And we all had to come back at the end of the summer and retake the exam. And I was like, surely if we all failed, there must be something wrong with the lectures and the lecturers. It's not just us being completely rubbish. I was like, can they bring down the pass mark so that we can all pass? Would that be all right? <clears throat> it really disrupted my summer holiday plans. <clears throat> but you ever been there where they kind of move the pass mark around depending on how the class is done? So as long as you're better than someone else, you'll be all right. With our own efforts, there is no way we can maintain God's perfect holy standard. I can't for an hour, let alone a week or a month or a year or a lifetime. We just can't do it because it's not just about our actions. It's about our thoughts and our motives as well. Trying a sort of DIY righteousness is like carrying around this pane of glass. As soon as one sin or one rock or even a tiny bit of one hits it, it shatters and it is broken. And maybe that's what you, how you've been doing life. Maybe this has been your mentality that I just need to be good or at least I need to be better than the majority and then I'll be right with God and then I'll have peace. So how is that going for you? And how confident are you in that? Paul says, I have been better than anyone. I have been more religious. I've done more to please God than any of you in terms of the law of the Old Testament. I am top of the class. 
but I consider all of that absolute rubbish. And the word he uses is stronger than that. Nastier than rubbish. Because the heart of the gospel isn't about me or you, about what we do or how hard we try. Jesus is the heart of the gospel. The root, the source, and the reason for the good news. Paul says this, He has found a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And again, it's not about having enough faith or greater faith or more faith than anyone else. It's about faith in the right thing, faith in the right person, faith in Jesus. Faith is an instrument. It's the channel by which God's own righteousness becomes our righteousness. We are not saved on the account of faith. We are saved on the account of Jesus. What saves us is the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect work of obedience. It is the death of Christ that saves us, the blood of Christ that saves us. It's the prayers of God, of Christ before God's throne that saves us. It's his appearing before God. It's his pleading on our behalf before God. It's his blood that saves us. It's his perfect obedience to the law, his sinless deaths, his life and death and resurrection that saves us. Discovering this beauty the fullness of the gospel and letting its truth sink deep into our souls and the reality of jesus sacrifice for us is the journey of faith that we're on but paul finishes by saying this crazy phrase but the last last i think it's the last verse we looked at paul finishes by saying this i want to know christ and the word he uses here is like i'm, I'm just beginning I'm just at the beginning of my journey. It's like I've just bumped into, I've just met someone for the first time. I want to know them more. And you're like, Paul, this is like probably more than 20 years of you walking with Jesus, planting churches, going on your ministry journeys, missionary trips, seeing incredible stuff happen, being broken out of prison, seeing people healed, preaching the gospel. And we might think, but Paul, you've written the most incredible letters to the early church, detailing the depths of who you found Jesus to be. But Paul says it's just like the beginning. It's like I'm just getting to know him. And today, there is an invitation. Today, one of those, it could be one of those times in our life where you have a chance to reevaluate your priorities, to reevaluate your values, to reevaluate how you're using the time, and to also to reevaluate what have you placed your faith in? What are you hoping makes you right with God? Today, this morning, there is an opportunity to lay down all of our self-righteousness, all of our DIY righteousness, our comparison against other people, and to take hold of Christ's righteousness, be clothed in his righteousness, so that when God looks at us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. What's holding us back? What's holding you back this morning? That's the invitation. And I think it's transform. It's just going to transform every every part of our life if we see our lives as a reaction and a, a response of faith in Jesus, rather than striving, trying, grappling. There's that kind of freedom that flows, and just saying, "God, I'm thank you so much. 